This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, and this is Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock, and we got a great show for you today. And uh, we um, we have a, a studio full of people. We have Governor McGreevy here in today, and we have uh, Judge Weinberg. We have Craig Eaton, and uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, uh, I believe John McLaughlin is going to come in and tell us what the heck is going on in the primaries. Uh, what else do we have, uh, Lydia? We have a great show for everyone. We'll have Professor Alan Dershowitz, uh, Joe Jackalone. He is a professor at John Jay, former NYPD. Of course, he'll talk to us about that alleged subway shooter that they just arrested, the NYPD fine work there. Dr. Mark Siegel, we're going to talk to him about some disturbing trends of fentanyl overdoses and we're just watching this story as well in Texas that 14 children have been killed, a teacher. I, just this is horrific. Like, I don't I can't even imagine the pain. John, 14 children getting killed. I mean, that's horrible. 14 children. Yeah, and you know, what? that's teacher. their safe place. Kids need to feel safe going to school. school. And, you know, kids see this on the TV and, and they're afraid to go to school. It, I, it's sad. Now, I'd like to see who this criminal was, because like we said in New York. Uh, and there's a big uh, meeting on Thursday morning, uh, Judge Weinberg, and I Charlie understand you're, you're, you're going to be calling me, uh, going into my place. That's Tell right. us about the meeting. The meeting, it's, it's called by uh, Mayor Adams uh, under the auspices of the Partnership for the City of New York. You're going to have 100, 150 of the biggest business leaders in the, uh, in the city there trying to deal with this climate of lawlessness, this uh, morass that we've entered into because we do not have effective public safety in the city. Mayor Adams is doing what he can. He has a recalcitrant state legislature, refuses to do the right right thing. You have a governor who didn't push hard enough during the budget process to get a cleanup to all these anti-police, pro-criminal laws that keep coming out of the legislature. The legislature has become a dangerous place to protect the city and the state of New York. This guy, Andrew Abdullah, the suspect in this uh, subway shooting, I was just listening to the NYPD press conference a short time ago. This is like what you say, John, always. This is not a petty criminal. This is a violent criminal. We're talking about attempted murder in his past, which he only served 30 months for. He was sentenced, excuse me, for 30 months. I think he only served 24. We're talking grand larceny. If the state, listen, we've got to go on to Mr. Dershowitz, but if the state assembly and uh, Mr. Uh, Hasty and Cousins, Stuart Cousins from the state Senate would, would put the violent criminals in jail— this wouldn't happen. Absolutely. Professor Dershowitz, we've been talking about the crime wave that's basically sweeping across the country. President Biden also signed an executive order in the name of George Floyd, which we're questioning. Is the is that even possible that he can do that? Welcome back to Cats at Night. Well, thank you so much. You know, we have to adopt a neutral policy toward crime. It can't be politically correct. It can't be that we focus only on white racists that kill black people. Uh, we have to focus on all victims alike. More black people are killed by black people than by white racists. And we, we, we are unwilling to look at some of the racial elements in crime. And, you know, one doesn't want to paint with a broad brush. The vast, vast, vast majority of African-Americans are law-abiding and are victims of crime and want to see the police given more funds, not less funds. But you have the radicals, the AOCs of the world, who have taken over a wing of the Democratic Party and will not allow neutral principles to protect us from predatory criminals. And there are predatory criminals. How do I know? I've represented some of them for years. Uh, and, and I know that there are bad people out there and there are good people who are victimized by them. And just to let everybody know, the suspect in that Texas elementary school shooting is dead. 
they have confirmed that the suspect is also dead. We don't know exactly who he is. Um, it's just such a tragedy. I, I mean, when we talk about crime, we're talking about the street crime as far as gun leg- but these Guaranteed, men- guaranteed it's not his first crime. Well, the, there's also a mental illness component to this. That's it's right. guns. It's guns. We have to get the guns off the street and out of the hands of the criminals and the mentally ill. And uh, before we went on the show, Craig Eaton, who, who just made that comment. I, I want to say to somebody, Craig Eaton, I think you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know why? You'll never get the guns off the street. The criminals will always have guns. But if we can reduce it, even 50%, John. The criminals, the criminals you, will always you, have guns. You know guns. who does the killing? Yeah. It's not the guns. It's the person. It's the person's. Yeah. If you get those people that have violent crimes, three or four or five violent crimes, at what point do you throw them in jail and, forget, and, and say you're, you're not supposed to live among civilized people? Governor McGreevy, you want to say something? John, to go to I, – I think there's obviously and, – and Alan can speak to it, There are different kinds of crimes in terms of street crimes. But when you look at the, this tragedy in mm-hmm. Texas and you look at assault weapons – I think there's not only different types of crimes, whether it's the mentally ill, whether it's crimes of violence, but there's also crimes where, you know, where the AK-47 is employed that was never meant to be for this purpose. And so I think that's a rational place. That cocaine, bi- cocaine is against the law. Marijuana is against the law. Tell me one criminal doesn't have cocaine. Well, you know, we need to have a combination of factors. We need to... Try to get some guns out of the hands of gang members. When I lived in Boston, the African-American community leaders said, come into our community and take the guns away from the 17, 18, and 19-year-olds who are endangering our community. Yeah, even if you have to compromise with rights, uh, you've got to take those guns away. And Commissioner Broderick, you remember, and others like that, came in and they took the guns away, and crime went down tremendously in the African-American community. We have to do a better job at predicting which criminals who are guilty of acts of violence will recidivate and keep them in for longer periods of time. We have to use every tool that are available. We have to teach our police uh, to be better and arm them better and educate them better and fund them even more. This but, is what but we have, Alan, to, do. From we the have pers- to do it apolitically. apolitically. Alan, from, from the perspective of law enforcement, you know, the beat cop in New York City, Isn't there, and when you look at whether the U.K., you look at New Zealand, you look at Australia, you look at Israel, isn't there an argument to be said that we need to get handguns to to go to, isn't there an argument to be made that we have to reduce the amount of handguns as well, even to level the score? Of course. Of course we have to reduce the number of handguns. And the Second Amendment doesn't say just the right to bear arms. It says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the freedom of a free state. Well-regulated. The Second Amendment wants guns to be well-regulated the way they were well-regulated during the militias in 1792. And people have left out that part of the Second Amendment. Well-regulated. We have to regulate guns. We regulate driver's licenses more than we regulate uh, gun licenses. And that's because of the gun lobby. And 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 we, you know, in Congress, people are afraid of the gun lobby. And so we now have the extremes on both sides, the gun lobby on one side and the extreme radical wokes on the other side that want to free everybody and want to have no uh, bail uh, pretrial and want to defund the police. And the middle, the people in the middle, like all of us on this show and most of your listeners are the ones getting squeezed. Judge Weinberg. Uh, Alan, what's going to happen with that Supreme Court case testing the uh, constitutionality of the New York State uh, gun regulation law? It's so interesting. I have a column about that coming out tomorrow in which I say, look, half the country thinks that the the federal government has no power, um, that state governments have no power whatsoever to regulate guns. And that's the position that's being taken in this case. And another half says that states have no power to regulate guns. Uh, abortion and 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 the case is looking completely opposite directions yep. and i think the supreme court will decide that the state of new york doesn't have power over guns but that the, that the state of uh, alabama does have power to regulate abortion so i predict that the decisions will be somewhat inconsistent in focus they'll increase state power in the abortion context 
and decrease it in the gun country. And what is that, as a matter of real effect on the streets, Alan, what do you think is going to happen if that law is set aside? Well, I think it will have a, a very, a very bad impact. And I don't think the Supreme Court is thinking hard uh, in the gun context about what impact this opinion is going to have. You know, there are two kinds of rights. There are rights without victims, gay marriage. There are no victims in gay marriage, no victims in interracial marriage. And then there are rights that have victims and gun rights have victims. You might have a right to have a gun, but it's not, there's no free lunch. Uh, it's a zero-sum game. The more people have guns, the more people will get hurt by guns, particularly if the guns are made easily available to people who are either mentally ill or have criminal propensities. These high-capacity guns, I mean, not all guns are the same. Can't no. there be some sort of more stricter regulations when we're talking about these these uh AK-47s, these type of there's assault? There's an underground we're, economy. We're yeah. you know, well, everybody can talk nicely, but there's an underground economy. Anything You could have anything you want if you have yeah. dollars. Yeah. Anything yeah, you want. It costs more dollars. It costs more dollars, and that means there are fewer of them if you make it illegal. In California, the state legislature said kids between the ages of 18 and 21 can't have ak 47 They can have others. They can have pistols. They can have hunting rifles. They can't have automatic or semi-automatic weapons, and a federal court struck that down as unconstitutional, inconsistent with the Second Amendment, saying the state of California has no power to tell 18-year-old kids who are not mature that they can't have access to weapons of mass destruction, essentially. What an absurd decision. So they need a license to drive a car, but they can walk in and buy an AK-47. Yeah. Yeah, they may need, a, they may need to show ID. But a kid who's 18 or 19, you know, has a driver's license, can show uh, ID and can get his gun, can buy magazines and go into a school and shoot it up. And that's what's going to happen more and more often. Professor, we have a few more minutes. Let's go on to a different subject. What else do you want to talk about today? Well, I want to talk about Princeton University, one of the great universities in the United States, who's just engaged in an act of blatant McCarthyism. They fired a tenured professor, a professor named Katz, who was teaching classics, one of the most popular teachers, about 15 years ago, apparently he had an affair with a student, and he was punished. And that was the end 15 of it. years ago? Wrote, yeah, wait, wait. Then he wrote an article last oh, year. Oh, hold on. Governor McGreevy, can, can you give a pardon yeah. from 15 years ago? 15 yeah, years ago. Backdated? Wait a minute. It gets worse. Then he wrote an article critical of Princeton's approach to a diversity, equality, and all of that stuff that's going on now which he had a right to do, but as a result of that article, they went back and examined his private life, and the president of Princeton just fired him. The first time a tenured professor has been fired by a major university since uh, in the 1970s. Alan, isn't that and a winning lawsuit? It's a private university, but there are contracts, and I think it could be a winning lawsuit. If he can prove that it was because of his speech that they went back and looked at his life, which sends a message to every professor, do not say anything controversial. Just agree with the politically correct statements, and you'll be fine. Nobody's going to look into your sex life. But if you start criticizing racial policies at the university, beware they're going to uncover everything that happened in your life from the time you were 10 years old. It happened to, uh, you know, Justice Kavanaugh. The same thing. People didn't like his views on the merits, so they went back and, 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 and found out that when he was 15 years old, he may have had a beer too many and did something. It's just outrageous. It's what happened during McCarthyism. If people didn't like your politics, they went back and they checked what you were when you were 15, 16, 17, 18, and they got you fired. I was a student at Brooklyn College when they were firing professors back then. I thought that was over. And now Besides that, Princeton University. NYU. Yeah. I understand they received stolen merchandise and refused to return it uh, on uh, uh, from uh, from Greece on the Elgin marbles or something from the Parthenon that the the, the Germans stole them from from Greece uh, and somebody else donated to Princeton and and the, the, no, the British Brit the British did all the stealing the, so let's be clear <laughs> but that's coming from an Irish so, but, the, but, the French the French did so oh, yeah they they were accomplices but but Egypt, professor yeah. Princeton's but, guilty but wasn't Princeton Princeton didn't they make clear that this was this dismissal was a result not of his speech but of the actions involving the student that's what they said but they never would have looked back at actions 
which had been done years ago, and for which he was suspended for a year. He was fully punished, double jeopardy. We're all getting the hook. Back at it only because of what he said. That's as clear as could be. And MIT recently also uh, terminated, um, apparently voluntarily, but by pressure, one of the world's greatest scientists for events that occurred a long time ago. And then NYU is about to hire him. And NYU, as a result of pressure from the Me Too movement, refused to fire him, hire him. And now this, this eminent scientist is unemployed. Alan Dershowitz, going thank on. you. Thank yeah. you so, so much for uh, telling thank the you. truth out there. And God bless you. Yeah. And we'll catch up soon. <laughs> and we'll talk about Brooklyn. Thank you. Yeah, please. Thanks. Bye. Uh, our next guest is Charlie Gasparino. Charlie Gasparino, you sent out a tweet a short time ago about a very important meeting Thursday. Tell us all about it. Uh, this is a meeting between the New York, the Partnership for New York City, Kathy Wilde's group, which represents most of the big employers in New York City, and Mayor Adams uh, about crime in, in the city. And as you know, it, it came after this, the tragic killing of uh, Daniel Enriquez, a uh, guy going to brunch on a Sunday late morning. I mean, one of the times that you think it would be safe to go to brunch in New York City, and he was shot in the chest. Just and, and the CEOs are... Yeah, tell us uh, about yeah. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Yes. Those are the CEOs. I, I, but, you know, I, I'm going to get into that in a minute, John. But I, I want to say one thing because this is a common misperception I'm getting in in on on social media right now. Yeah, that the only reason why people are waking up to crime is because this guy was some sort of a rich fat cat that worked at Goldman Sachs. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, Wall Street, Goldman, all these firms, they employ all sorts of people, middle class people, upper middle class people, very rich people. They employ them all. Um, this guy was just a run of the mill worker who is just hanging out. He's like most Wall Street employees. Most people who work at big banks are not super rich. They are average people. And they and what, the reason why we have the business community is worried right now and is stepping up and putting and essentially putting pressure on Adams to do something about crime is that it's their average workers who are being targeted as they go to work every day. Not this not the banker who could take a car. It's the guy that has to take the subway. Mr. Enriquez took took the subway because he couldn't afford an Uber. Uh, that's what's going on here. So, you know, I, I just keep seeing this stuff that we're only getting this because it's rich. It's a rich guy. No, this is an average guy who's doing something that average people do, like go to brunch or go to work. And he was targeted and murdered. Uh, so that's why the CEOs are stepping up. Most of their employees are average. And here are the, the, the names that, that I understand. I hear it's going to be – it's at 2 o'clock on Thursday. It's going to be a Zoom call. Again, Kathy Wilde and, and the partnership from New York are going to be uh, hosting it. Uh, the attendees it will be, obviously, Eric Adams and Kathy Wilde, but also David Solomon, the CEO of Goldman. Uh, as you know, Mr. Enriquez worked at Goldman Sachs. Blackstone, Stephen Schwartzman, NBA's Adam Silver, Wells Fargo's Charlie Scharf. Uh, Jim Tisha, the, the the Lowe's Hotel, uh, Lowe's chain. And, it's, who, uh, it's who's who. Yeah, it's a who's who. And Steve Sicaria of, of American Express. Again, uh, 100 people are going to be there. Um, you know, I think the, the, the message to Mayor Adams will be a couple things. Uh, you know, you talked a good game during the campaign, and, the, and you know, hedge funds and, and Wall Street backed him up because they figured he would make the city state safe for them and their workers. But you're not following through. There's not a good follow through on this. You, the city is still very, very dangerous. It's, it's. You know, you want us to come back full force, but we can't come back full force if, if, uh, and spend our money here and have people but go Charlie, to restaurants. It's time if we, for if we're not safe. It's time all these CEOs realize it's not really Eric's fault. In my opinion, I think they got to go after the state assembly and the state senate yeah. because th- those people are unconscious and they're making Governor Hochul's and uh, <laughs> and Mayor Adams' life miserable. Well, here's what I would say: you would think there would be more sense of urgency out of Mayor Adams and and Hochul. I mean, you know, he's out enjoying the trappings of of his job a lot. Uh, I should point out that you know he was in Beverly Hills hobnobbing with people, Dave Chappelle. Uh, not too long ago, I think he went to the Milken Conference. I mean, he, he doesn't miss a, a soiree. It doesn't seem like he misses a soiree. He's hanging out at Cipriani's downtown a lot. While that, while Mr. Enriquez was murdered, he was at a at a fashion show at the New York Stock Exchange. Now that doesn't mean he shouldn't be doing these things, but if you if you you know he should be acting with a sense of urgency. 
Uh, he should be pressuring every day <laughs> those imbeciles in Albany yeah. to Correct. change and you, know, you know what, Charlie? He we also pressuring them every day. He should be. He should spend less time at these galas, raising money in Beverly Hills or whatever the hell he was doing, and more time dealing with what's yeah, going but, on. But, in uh, New York City. Uh, but Charlie, I got to tell you one thing before we go to Craig Eaton. I said to him, if you prove what a great job you're doing in New York and make New York safe, we'll run you for president in 2024. Right. Well, he he, he, he kind of jumped the gun on that, didn't he? Isn't he running now? Well, well he, he's, he's denied gonna, that. He's going to make New that. York safe first. But you, but you know, know what, Charlie? He denied, he denied that, but I don't believe him. Charlie, this is Craig. He, he I needs... had that conversation with him, okay? <laughs> yeah. He needs he needs to do something. I mean, look, I understand that he's out a lot, but one of the people in the administration told me he works 24 hours a day. So he needs some downtime. But you know what? We need dramatic change here. And and he is the mayor of the city of New York. He needs to stand his ground and talk to the head of the assembly and the head of the Senate and say, enough is enough. He needs to talk to the governor and say, enough is enough. By the way, what would be very easy for him to do is go to the post, especially the New York Post, which I, I write for, and I guarantee they take a guest column for him that puts pressure on Albany to do the right thing in terms of bail reform, a mandatory committing uh, to, of, of these lunatics that are on the street, you know, violent lunatics on the street, mandatory committing them to mental institutions, things of those natures. If he took a, a, an active, vigilant stand, which could begin, again, with a front-page editorial somewhere, particularly the New York Post, I guarantee that would put the pressure on Albany, but he's not doing that. He's playing this. He's playing a really weak hand here. Listen, they don't have to listen to him, but he can get in their face and make them listen to him. But you know what? I hope the, we, hope we the have, voters, I hope the citizens, way, I hope the citizens are listening. Don't, don't we have an election coming up? We do. I hope the, the voters are listening to what we need to do. Is he afraid to upset the apple cart and to that Lee Zeldin might beat um, might beat Hochul if, if well, he raises the crime issue here in the city? Charlie, I think that the, the state of? senate and he, they're threatening him. Maybe he's waiting for June thirtieth to be over with because they're supposed to give him permanent uh, uh, management of schools. But to Charlie's point, how many people uh, have to die? An eleven-year-old girl in the Bronx crazy, was killed, and one of the suspected gunmen also has an extensive rap sheet. This guy, Daniel Enriquez, a suspected gunman, also an extensive rap sheet. Gen- this is Daniel ridiculous. Enriquez is an everyman. Yes, he's a guy, a middle-class dude, lives in Brooklyn, who was going out to brunch on a Sunday afternoon with no expectation that this would have happened. <laughs> No expectation. And he gets shot in the chest. Point blank I mean, For no reason. I mean, it is. It, what is Charlie, what is, we're all mad as hell, and we're all going to gather together, and we're going to stand side by side, and we're going to do something about it. I'm, I'm with you. Thank you, Charlie. Anytime. And we'll talk to you. We're going to take a break, but then we're going to talk to you again real soon. You got it. Thank you. Let's take the break, and when we come back, we got John McLaughlin. You'll find out what the heck is going on. There's three primaries today. What the heck is going on? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Well, Texas primary, Georgia primary, Alabama primary. What the heck is going on? We got with us John McLaughlin to tell us what the heck is going on, John. Well, people are ready to vote. I mean, they've had it. Like you said, it. they've had enough. We're mad as hell and we can't take it anymore. It's not just New York, but it's the rest of the country, too. When you look at Georgia, now remember, Georgia, they moved the Major League Baseball game because they changed their election laws, okay? And in that change, they the Republicans, because I work for the, full disclosure, I work for the uh, Republican House majority. But don't worry, we got the Democrat coming in after you. Good. We got James Carville coming in after you. Good. 
because because he'll like this election law because they changed the voter ID, so you need it in person and for absentees, and they they certainly extended early voting, whether it's in person or whether it's uh, by mail, and they have the drop boxes that where all these uh, ballot harvesting and multiple uh, ballots were being dropped off to the tune of you know tens of thousands. Uh, they've got, and they have no chain of custody records for over 300,000 ballots. Now the drop boxes are in government offices around the state, not just Democrat areas, and they're secure. And the fourth thing is they have no excuse absentees. You can ask for an absentee for any reason. And guess what? They have more than tripled compared to four years early voting in the state of Georgia. And what the Democrats don't like is there's more Republicans that have voted than Democrats. But it's more than tripled, and you already have over 800,000 Georgians have voted. They voted early. Um, You have about 60,000 voted in the mail. Most of the rest voted in person, early in person, to avoid the lines. So you've got this huge turnout in the primary down there. It looks like uh, Governor Kemp is who, you know, uh, uh, because I used to poll down there for Nathan Deal and Lieutenant Governor Cagle. And Governor Kemp won four years ago because in the runoff, after we were ahead of him by 13 points in the primary, in the runoff, President Trump endorsed, endorsed him within the week of the election, so Kemp won. So now they have now the tables have turned in Kemp because they had a bad election law that he signed off on, and, and it cost Trump the election. It cost us the U.S. Senate. And now uh, it appears because Kemp is stuck John, in conservative positions. Pennsylvania. Yes. Pennsylvania. There's big I, controversy I, there. They're at each other's throats. And uh, it's, it's McCormick versus Dr. Oz, and McCormick was going to bring in some extra votes from 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 somewhere, and the RNC is suing, uh, stopping the lawsuit or something. Well, tell us. By the way, what's different in Pennsylvania is the Democrats, Governor Wolf, and his appointed Secretary of State control the election process down there. They never fixed it. So the, the interpretation of accepting mail-in ballots is, has been something that the Democrats had yes. hasn't changed since 2020. What's interesting about Georgia tonight was all the races across Georgia, whether it's the Secretary of State's race, Lieutenant Governor, Attorney General, you will know who won the race tonight. Pennsylvania, with these mail-in ballots, I mean, President Trump was right. The, the election law is flawed in Pennsylvania. And now we're seeing it play out in the Republican primary because ultimately Governor Wolf and his Secretary of State may decide who those ballots are, and they'll be in court. So they're in court till like June 6th because they haven't fixed the election law. And this is why, by the way, in Georgia, no one has said that their civil rights were denied. Anybody who wants to vote, as long as they, as long as they can prove, you know, through voter ID, reasonable voter ID, that they are a citizen, they've been allowed to vote. And no one uh, can, can, has said that their civil rights have been so denied. So what do you predict? What do you predict from Georgia? Uh, I, I think the elections will know early in the night who's who, who's won the elections and who's in the runoff. The one to watch is the Secretary of State, Raffensperger versus Jody Heiss. And Jody Heiss has been endorsed by President Trump. That may go to a runoff that would be uh, decided in the runoff. But uh, right now, Kemp is ahead in the polls over David Perdue. You know, he hasn't raised that much money. He hasn't uh, campaigned the way he did for the Senate race. So, uh, so we'll see what happens. John, it. plus there's races in Alabama and Arkansas tonight, as well as a Minnesota House race. John, it's Richard Weinberg. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it's a good campaign message for uh, Stacey Abrams to say that Georgia is the worst place in the <laughs> country to live? I must have missed something yeah. on that. You know, <laughs> when you talk about common sense Democrats, you she... just proved why you're a common sense Democrat, <laughs> and what she said is not. And she owns multiple houses inside of Georgia. I mean, she's done pretty well over the past few years. And by the way, she never conceded her loss, did she? No, 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 she never did. And uh, uh, and she did. It was a close election and she did lose. And people in Georgia is like ground zero for the presidential races, for control of the uh, U.S. Senate. So you get very healthy turnouts down there because Republicans, I've polled a lot for Governor Deal, for Lieutenant Governor Cagle, former uh, Congressman Kingston, Buddy Carter, Congressman Doug Collins. You know, they they were like, do you do all the polling in Georgia and the South? And I tell them, yeah, I'm from the South Bronx. John but, McLaughlin, uh, a lot of these Republicans. you so. had your two cents. 
Now we have That's right. Now we have our other buddy there uh, from representing the Democratic Party. We have James Carville. You're welcome to listen in. Uh, James, are you there? Uh, yeah, Chance, I'm right here. All right. It was good to see you the other day at the Regency, and yeah. and, and and you're hanging around with the high polluting guys. And uh, tell us what the heck is going to happen in the primaries today, on your in your opinion. You know, it, uh, the Trumpet Dawes candidate in Ohio and Pennsylvania they got 32, 32 mm-hmm. and a half. That seems to be some convergence. So my guess is is that uh, Purdue will get, you know, maybe 35. But uh, I think it's pretty much over on that side. And and, uh, yeah. and how do you see the trends going in uh, in Texas or any place else? Uh, well, well. Give us your post. Yeah, right now it's it's a daunting year for Democrats. I don't deny that. I was just listening to the other interview. The name Herschel Walker never came up. I I think he's running for the Senate in Georgia. And I think he played played football too long without a helmet. But I don't know that. But but that's okay. It's all right. You know, it it is a a race of some importance. Do you think Georgia is the worst state? You said he was a racist? (laughs) <laughs> no, he's a racist at all. I I'm already kidding you. We need to have a few laughs, uh, you know, like the old days. Know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad that the Georgia legislature went out of their way to make it easy for black people to vote. That's what I'm supposed to believe. I call me skeptical, but okay. Okay. What what else would you like to tell the American people? Uh, oh man, just uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of football left to play here. Uh, I didn't hear anything about the January sixth committee. I think that's going to be coming up and it's going to be uh, pretty illuminating to people. But look, if if situations on the ground doesn't improve between nine November, it'll be a tough year for Democrats. But. We're not to, to November yet, so we got to see what happens here. And we got some, you know, Mafiano in, in Pennsylvania, I think, is a certified nut. And they're going to have to run with him, and they're going to have to run with Herschel Walker in Georgia. And if the Democrats are smart, uh, they'll put these people front and center. I, I got uh, one of your guys in the studio here with us. Governor McGreevy, you want to make any comments to Yeah, the, no, I just wanted to ask. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jim. It's good to be. Hey, thank Jim. you so much How for you being doing, here. Man? Good. Could you just give us your sense of Pennsylvania and who do you think positions in terms of the the battlegrounds, both for the Senate, particularly for the Senate, as opposed to the governor's race? What's what's your sense of the future? You know, when I worked in New Jersey in 1988, we won the Senate race there by, I think it was 54-46. And the Republicans won the presidential 54-46. You would have ticket splitting like that in, in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, places like that. I just don't see that much ticket splitting. And uh, I think that the Democrats are, are, are really strongly positioned in the governor's race. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, Fetterman uh, turned out, I, I was for Connell Lamb. I thought he had a better chance in, in the general. Uh, Fetterman turned out to be a better candidate than, than most people thought, including me. Um, the Republicans, they're going to have to, you know, they they got to sort out where they are. It's, it's, it's a so, so why was week. Fetterman so attractive, like in his shorts and his plain spoken? Because uh, he, he doesn't come across as arrogant and coastal. All right? That's why he was he, 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 he was more effective. He, he does come across as a, most people like, I mean, if you go down the laundry list of Democratic positions, most people agree with it. But uh, I, I think he goes out of his way to be stylistically and culturally a kind of everyday guy, and I think it worked well for him. I, I, I love Con. I mean, I knew his granddad was Governor Casey's legislative director, and sure. I helped him when he ran for Congress. But, you know, you you win some, you lose some. But I'm, I'm as I said on election night, I'm volunteering for Louisiana and Sotomayor. But it, it's, it's going to be a very, very, very close race. And Georgia is very difficult. Uh, the, the last cycle was a really close election and a really good Democratic year. But, you know, the demographics of Georgia have changed since 2018 and probably changed in, in, in the Democrats' favor a little bit. Well, but, 
run a good campaign. Well, it's, James Carville. It's not year right now. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I guess we'll know the results by tomorrow. And John McLaughlin, thank oh, you for coming on. And I'm glad but, uh, you and Carville didn't slug it out together because you're both friends. By the way, the one uh, thing about James. I ain't slugging nothing out. I ain't slugging anything James, out with anybody at my age. <laughs> James, James give, you best, give my best to your wife, Mary. And in the meantime, I, will. I, hope, Joe, I hope Joe Biden doesn't listen to you. Because if he, okay. if, he, if he finds the center, it could be a closer election. But uh, if he keeps if he Let's keeps see. going uh, left, you're going to join us. But if you put it in the teleprompter, he'll read it. Yeah. Uh, you know, as Tom Friedman said, <laughs> Rowling put a sentence together. He put together one of the greatest coalition Western alliance we've had since World War II. But at any rate, uh, it was good talking to y'all. Okay, and, it was always uh, good. God bless. Thanks, James. Have a great, have have a great Memorial Day weekend. Take care, guys. Thank you. I'll be there. Uh, Let's take the break, and when we come back... We're going to talk about crime here in New York City. Keep it right here, Cats at Night. You talk, we listen. This is Talk Radio 77 WABC. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Uno. He's your numero uno. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show. And now on the line with us, we have Joe Jackalone. He's a law and police science professor at John Jay College, also former NYPD. Uh, Mr. Jackalone, we're... We're just looking at the screens right now. We're seeing the shootings and everything going on in Texas. 15 people dead. We now know the gunman is 18 years old, Salvatore Ramos. We know that drugs and mental illness, it's all like intertwined in all together, also with the gun violence. Well, uh, listen, I mean, to be able to go into any place and shoot, you know, 15, 16, 20 people, whatever has been going on, there has to be some sort of... uh, you know, mental deficiency for somebody to do it. It's the question that comes into play is, you know, the planning that that's involved in this, the social media posts. I mean, those are the things I think that often will make or break if this person is in their right mind, right? So we saw the guy who shot up the train in, in Brooklyn. You know, it was some extensive planning. He brought gas masks and all the other stuff. So it, it kind of shows you a little more insight than what people kind of label just about everything as mental illness these days, which it isn't. Right. And this suspect, he also posted pictures of him with the gun cartridges and everything. So and you wonder where does a social media play a component in this, too? Why not alert the authorities? And uh, Governor McGreevy, you were mentioning before in, in there's a drug epidemic, a crisis now in New Jersey. Yeah, well, I just I just wanted to ask be, before we and it's, it's actually nationally been we're doing some good things in Jersey. But just, Professor, so what would you say? I mean, you mentioned a couple of things. You t- talked about mental illness. You talked about weapons. If you could be, if you could have your druthers, what would you do, you know, to support rational, reasonable course of action to to grapple with some of these atrocities? Well, there has to be some deterrence, right? So not only do we see in New York, but we see in many cities in the United States where deterrence is no longer a factor into people committing crimes. So if somebody is going to be arrested and then re-released uh, without any issues, then sometimes people just say, hey, what's, going to, what's the worst that's going to happen to me? We have people that post on social media all day long about uh, you know, pictures with themselves with guns and do those kind of things. You know, What's the law enforcement angle about what can they do to arrest people? We need cooperation with district attorneys, and we know that's becoming a problem lately. So there are a number of factors that have to be looked at. Not all of them requires a law enforcement response. Some of them is a parenting response also. Uh, we have to be responsible for our children, what they're up to, what they're doing, who they're hanging out with, what they post on social media. Uh, th- these are things that need to be done. I know, I mean, listen, 
we didn't have this issue when we were kids. Yeah, but and I think it's hard. It's hard for police. It it's hard. It, it's every day. Mentally Ill. It's every day now. But, Joe, I got a question for you. What about increasing a mandatory sentencing, five to ten years for a gun, bringing back stop, question, and frisk? I mean, those are things that worked years ago. Get them off well, the streets we, in New York. Get them off the streets. Throw them in. Let, them, we, let the people know if you get caught with a gun, you're going to go to jail and you're not going to get out for 10 years. That'll stop some people. Right, because well, the majority of crimes yes. are committed by these gangbangers. Yeah. So that would be a deterrent. What do you yeah. think, Joe Jackalone? Well, th- that is a deterrent. But the issue is that we already have a three-year mandatory in New York State yeah. for jail for guns. And, and nobody's ever done it yet. And I think before... <laughs> Prior to that, I think the only person that did the one year in jail for, for an illegal gun was Bernie Gitts. I believe that's a good answer to a trivia question. That's because so they the plead issue- him. Joe, Joe, it's Richard Weinberg. That's because they plead him down. But it can, can I just jump to Richard? Richard, when you were a Supreme Court judge, can you talk about how difficult it was to find mental health treatment for people who seriously needed psychiatric intervention and addiction? Detective, I ran special narcotics for about seven years. So I had jurisdiction over all five counties in New York City. And if there's a combination of mental illness and drug addiction, there was only one hospital that provided programs. And the waiting list on that was forever. And one of the problems is they closed down the institutions to give the treatment to these people. It's absolutely essential. And I said this to the governor earlier before we were on the air. You have a combination of a climate of lawlessness. You have DAs who aren't enforcing the law, legislature that won't help us. But you have the mentally ill, and we don't have the facilities to treat them. So we have to do a multi, as you correctly pointed out, Detective, you have to have a multifaceted agenda program to take care of all of these pieces. And there's nothing wrong with deterrence. My reputation was that I was a law and order public safety judge, and I was very proud of that. And my friends who are still judges tell me their eyes are bleeding and their head is exploding when they're forced to release people because of these mandatory release programs provided by the state legislature and that ridiculous legislation. But, Judge, you hit it right well, on the head. You need, you need a multifaceted approach, but you need the state and the city to work together, and the state is not willing to work with the city. They don't care. They're not going to change these laws. I think we need to get rid of the legislature, the legislators, and change the legislature so we can get these laws changed. And but by I the way, think, well, but I, I, I AOC, AOC, I just read in today's uh, post, I think it was, AOC is running a slate of nine candidates mm-hmm. against uh, the so-called establishment Democrats in the primaries because they're too tough on, on law and order. So she's running a whole campaign to be softer on law and order. And we know assembly. that the majority of victims are people of color. So if they would want to keep talking about the suspects, how about that are black and brown and they're being unjustly held in Rikers or whatever? What about the victims that are lying in the morgues and lying in the hospitals? Joe Jackalone, this is not a one you know, solution type of problem that can be fixed, you know? Well, well, no, it isn't. And unfortunately, our legislators in Albany have, this has fallen on deaf ears. So this guy they just arrested, Andrew Abdullah, was uh, allegedly on this supervised you know, parole. And uh, just think the parole. governor, Hopel, just released 8,000 people into society, basically with no supervision. So if this guy does turn out to be another case where we have somebody on supervised parole, who ends up committing a brutal, senseless murder, uh, I I believe the tide is going to to change it. If you caught the mayor's speech today, I did disagree with him on one thing he said. He said that, you know, New Yorkers are wondering how this happened. No, I'm listening to New Yorkers. Apparently, some of our politicians are not. They, They know exactly why a lot of this is happening. And unfortunately, some of these reforms have gone just way too far. Listen, we need something in the happy medium. Nobody wants to be too far right. Nobody wants to be too far left. But we need to have some common sense approach to this. And unfortunately, I'm not hearing any of it. We're not talking about Khalif Browder, who was spent, you know, ended up killing himself in Rikers for over stealing a backpack. We're talking about violent criminals should be held behind bars. This guy, Andrew Abdullah, he's a, an attempted convicted murderer. Uh, what else did he gun illegal gun possession, grand larceny, robberies. you name robberies, Lydia, violent let me, robberies. Let me I something. mean, it, the, the rap list is like a, a mile long. Lydia, the detective just made a very good point about the supervised release, the supervised parole. Let me tell you the dirty little secret about supervised release. There is no supervision. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, so who's kidding? Who's kidding whom? So, the results are out on the streets. There is no supervision. So who has who next has to die? An 11 year old girl just died. 
and now and now we have this man, uh, Daniel Enriquez, who has to die for the legislators to wake up. They keep saying they want data. The data is before their it's eyes. Dead, it's dead people. Yes, it, it, most of it's anecdotal, according to them. But the issue that comes down to is that you also need to look at the precincts that historically had high crime like uh, East New York and the Bronx, and those are the precincts right now that are struggling with crime. And it's not a big surprise because when you release people out of prison, uh, they go back to the, the precincts that they came from. So to see rises in crimes in those precincts, some people are shocked by that, and, and I just kind of scratch my head and go, and you guys don't know how the system works. That's why well, Detective, what, what do you do if, if, if you're the NYPD and you see all these incidents on social media and – proclivities for violence and and mental illness and and how do you create a mechanism where people are treated or treated properly and you get them you remove them from that situation i think that's a that's a hard thing for all of us to deal with well it, it is but you know what we have an instance where somebody who is arrested that is struggling maybe with mental health when you're at central booking that's the time where they should be interrupted before we release them back onto the street they should have some mandatory overview of their mental yep. health. And uh, you, you have them right there. That's they can't go idea. anywhere. Uh, I mean, you have each one of these in every five boroughs, and then you have a, a mechanism to get them to a, a hospital. But we, we know that our mental health facilities have been devastated over the last couple of decades. I mean, and then a lot of Creed them have Moore, been closed, that the judge said. Yeah, Meadowbrook, Creedmoor. Uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, you have you don't have the room for people that really need it in the politics. We got to make room. We got to make room, and we got to put these people away to treat themselves. And well, they're they're, they're trying to figure out what to do with uh, Rikers Island. They should build the it up. The judge is looking to, you know, build some hospitals look, there. It's very, it's very simple. Build courts. The idea of closing drug down treatments. Rikers, listen, the idea of closing down Rikers stupid. is a stupid it's ridiculous. idea. It's ridiculous. It's a stupidest you have, idea. You keep them. You keep them in facilities. You have them contained. You should build it up, them. not tear it down. Exactly right. And yes. you can give them integrated yeah. services. Don't, okay. don't don't put those criminals in, in the, the community. In the community. Yeah, yeah. If, put if one on were, Central Park South. Put one on. Uh, uh, yeah. Put one in uh, uh, Greenwich Village and put one in uh, Staten Island. Park See Avenue. how people love it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take, we got to take that break. I understand. Joe Jackalone, thank you so much, and you welcome back anytime. Thank you. And when we come back, we'll talk to Doctor Mark Siegel and. He's got some uh, good news for us or breaking news, and we'll keep it right here. Cats at Night. You're commuting home with Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line with us, we have Dr. Mark Siegel. How are you, doctor? I'm doing great, and I don't have a pox on me. Nowhere on me. No monkey pox, and we're not going to say So what's the story in the monkey business, doctor? Well, I think I think it's being overhyped. It's it's not nothing. It came from two raves, which is a huge huge parties in in Belgium and Spain, where they had hundreds of gay men, bisexual men. I think it got spread sexually. I think that it's it's an issue. But the way it's being attended to is preying off the fears of the pandemic. That's people thinking, yeah. uh oh, we're going to have another one, and that's just not true. They're now, not Governor, getting anything out of COVID anymore, so now they're going to start with the monkeypox. Governor McGreevy had a question for you, Dr. Siegel. Uh, doctor, thank you yes, so much. Um, I, I'm representing the Democratic minion on this show. So, um, <laughs> Hello. I, I, I just wanted um, one, I, you know, one of the real challenges that's facing the country is obviously addiction and the fentanyl crisis. And one of the really good things that I think that we've done in New Jersey is to provide for the accessibility of Suboxone. And I know that it's, it's so critically important because now you have fentanyl, you have ISO, and you talk to the DEA agents, and basically you see, you know, we test uh, the pers- young men and young women in our program, and there's literally no heroin in the heroin anymore. It's just all fentanyl. But one of the good things that we're doing in, in New Jersey is making Suboxone available so that people can start off as they're tra- transitioning from their addiction to detoxification and to sobriety, they're starting off, whether it's 8 milligrams or 16 milligrams of Suboxone, and then titrating down. Can you just talk a little bit about the addiction crisis and what's happening and why medication-assisted treatment is so important, if you, if you believe way, in that? By the way, I'm a huge fan of Suboxone and Brown University. I'm on an opioid task force up there, and they have all medical school graduates are actually authorized to prescribe it in the state of Rhode Island. We need that all over the country. Suboxone has in it buprenorphine, which is a great uh, antidote to opioid addiction, as well as 
as uh, as well as naloxone, uh, Narcan, which again will reverse it, but fentanyl stays in your system a long time. This will decrease your risk by 70%. I'm a huge fan. What you're doing there is terrific. We, of course, need more. We need to get to the whole mental health crisis, which we're ignoring, which actually got worse during the pandemic. And there's the fact, one more thing, Governor, there's the fact that a lot of these things are cloaked as legitimate drugs. So, So kids go to get Adderall online, and it looks like Adderall, but it's phony, and it's actually fentanyl. Fentanyls. It's a lot of it's made in China. It's leaking across the border. It's worse and worse and worse. Fentanyl, 50 to 100 times more powerful than morphine, suppresses your breathing and you die. And you don't even know you're getting fentanyl. Yeah. And I, one of the things that Governor Murphy has done is made Suboxone so much more readily available. Could you just talk a little bit about ISO as well? Well, I, I think that that's another really uh, – wait, what, what is ISO? ISO is sure. coming up from Florida, or the difference between the synthetic opioids and heroin and what that does in terms of physiologically yeah, I, in the body. So that's the, the problem with that. I know I know what you're talking about. The problem with that is it causes a craving. And you, I'm sorry for the Jersey the accent. That you, <laughs> It, exactly. It replaces the opioids that your brain has. Your brain makes its own endorphins. The more you, you take these powerful opioid replacements and substitutes, the more you crave it. That's what the addiction comes from. That's why doctors contributed to this, by the way, w- w- by what's called the fifth vital sign. About 10, 20 years ago, yep. we were told that we were underestimating pain and we needed to pay attention to it. So people would give 125 pills after, a, after an operation or after, after a wisdom tooth. And the next thing you know, they're in a medicine cabinet and a teen is taking them, then they crave them, then they go for the illicit substances and they can't get off. So in 15 seconds, in 15 seconds, what should parents watch for for their children? Uh, they should they should watch for change in behavior, change in a- hours, coming in at late hours. They should look for changes in their eyes, pinpoint pupils, grogginess. They should look for uh, that they can't reach them. That there's that they, they kind of have a sense. An opioid, uh, someone who's addicted to opioids has a sense of being not there in the room with you. That's the best way I can put it. Emotionally distant. Well, Dr. Siegel, thank you so much. And in the studio, uh, Judge Weinberg, uh, Eric, uh, Eric, Craig Eaton, uh, Governor McGreevy, uh, Lydia, and what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. <laughs> and uh, God bless New York. God bless New Jersey. And we need blessings. And God, God bless America. God bless Texas. And somebody has to. Somebody God bless to. John Katsimatidis, Margo, and his family. Yep. Yep. For and all particularly in this tragedy. This, the families out there, we're praying for you. Thank you. Thank you all, and thank you. Not-